Welcome to Distrust and Disparities, Dismantling Black Health Disparities podcast. We examine health disparities that disproportionately affect Black women and Black families. In addition, we amplify organizations and individuals working to dismantle racist health practices and systems to improve health outcomes for marginalized communities. I'm your host, Jasmine Moore, a registered nurse, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Camille White. They were not just people in black jackets carrying guns. They were interested in actually doing something for the community. In this episode, we discuss the Black Panthers, their health initiatives, and community programs to address the disparities in the Black community. And we highlight acclaimed scholar and writer, Dr. Alondra Nelson, in her book, Body and Soul, The Black Panther Party and the Fight Against Medical Discrimination. Welcome back to another episode of Distrust and Disparities. We're in the month of February. Happy Black History Month to everyone. And, you know, each Black History Month, we want to share information, history that we should know, everybody should know, but instead we come here and we are like, why am I just hearing about this story? What is going on? The purpose of Black History Month is to educate and also to ignite. So I hope this episode provides you with some education and some new knowledge and also ignites that fire to either learn more or just think about ways in which you can create change, advocate for yourself, your family members, or those in your community. So let's dive into this conversation. As you start to listen to this episode, I want you to think about what comes to mind when you think about the Black Panther Party. And you could pause the episode and really think about it, like what images, portrayals come to mind. History has really been whitewashed or completely glossed over certain facts and figures. And with all movements, especially Black resistance, they only share typically the negative side or the parts that they want you to hear, such as Martin Luther King, I Have a Dream, Rosa Parks. They only share like certain things. And with this episode and many of the historical episodes we cover, like I mentioned, we're always asking, why am I just learning about this? And to many people's surprise, the Black Panthers were more aligned with Martin Luther King Jr. than we think. And just one of the quotes from one of the members, it says, they saw themselves as continuing Martin Luther King's work, as continuing King's legacy and King's intention of bringing all poor people together to fight against the capitalistic structure of exploitation of the poor. So just think about that. Yeah. It's also really important when viewing our history, marginalized history of activists and communities who's now had their turn of telling it. When you have people in control of the history books and what's being put in, what's even being banned, you're not getting a full, well-rounded picture because then that keeps future generations from truly knowing what was happening, what was going on, and the lies and corruption and ways in which they were able to take down those organizations because they were effective. 
You don't have the FBI coming after you and planting members and then coming up with stories and fake charges and putting people in prison for murder that they never committed if they weren't sort of considered dangerous. Because what the Black Panthers were doing and trying to do was something that was going to really cause a positive change for us and our community members. And that's why the government as a whole came down so hard on them and deemed them as like a terrorist group and people Mm -hmm. that you can't trust. And you have to look at who's telling you that history. So we hope that this episode can really educate you if you weren't aware of like the hugely positive impact that they had and like continue to have to this day. Exactly. And what those writing history often leave out, the Black Panther Party, they were advocating for those considered poor. And not only Black people fell into this category, so they were advocating against capitalism, just the U.S., against the U.S. government for equal treatment, equal access for all, basically holding America accountable for what they say that everybody is equal and free, but that's not the case, especially when you're poor. But let's jump into this episode. Um, Just want to give you a brief history. So Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale formed the Black Panther Party in Oakland, California in 1966 to combat police brutality by patrolling minority communities to prevent police harassment. And this week, we want to discuss the Black Panther Party's historical significance and its lasting contribution to public health. Even before the term health disparities was coined, the Black Panthers established community programs that reduced disparities in health and increased the survival of Black communities. These survival programs included the popular free breakfast program for children, which fed more than 20,000 children every week in a time when current government programs such as the USDA's food service program did not exist. They gave away groceries and clothing. They ran drug and alcohol rehabilitation services, housing assistance, legal services, And they had a school that offered community classes and first aid, politics, and economics. Additionally, the Black Panther Party also operated community-based healthcare clinics in 13 cities. In a quote from Black Panther Party leader Fred Hampton, first you have free breakfast, then you have free medical care, then you have free bus rides, and soon you have freedom. Have you checked out our website? There you can find all of our episodes and show notes. You can even listen directly on the site and catch up on any previous episode you may have missed. You can read our bios and see what we're up to. Also, we made it even easier to contact us. Just fill out the form on our homepage and click submit. We invite you to recommend guests and topics we should feature. So what are you waiting for? Go check us out at Distrust and Disparities. You may be thinking, why would they be so invested in health reform and social services? The party was initially founded to address police brutality. However, they quickly expanded to address the far-reaching consequences of racism in everyday life, such as 
a lack of adequate housing, education, and eventually health care. The party took up the right to health two years after its inception. The Black Panthers' emphasis on providing community health services grew out of a deep distrust in minority communities towards the traditional health care system, which they saw as potentially dangerous to themselves and their families. In 1965, Medicare and Medicaid Act made it illegal to provide federal funding to any hospital or medical practice that excluded racial and ethnic minorities. However, that regulation was not enforced, and most African Americans still receive medical services from poorly funded public hospitals and clinics. In 1968, the party started the People's Free Medical Clinics, because of systemic discrimination against Blacks in hospitals and private medical practice. The chapters in Kansas City, Chicago, and Seattle established the first People's Free Medical Clinics in 1968. And these clinics and the services that they offered were an alternative to President Lyndon B. Johnson's Great Society Community Health Centers, So President Johnson's administration rolled out its Great Society and War on Poverty programs in the mid-1960s. However, the Black Panthers didn't think the programs did enough to help the poor, and some members even doubted if equal access to quality health care could exist in a capitalistic society. So... Ten additional clinics were opened in 1970 when the Black Panther Party required all of its chapters to establish these clinics, and a total of 13 clinics were established. Each local chapter was responsible for raising funds for its clinic from local businesses, churches, and healthcare professionals, and these included physicians, nurses, pharmacists, lab technicians, and medical students who also trained community members to be staffs of the clinics as lab technicians, patient advocates, and community healthcare workers. And the clinics primarily provided first aid and basic services such as childhood vaccinations and screenings for high blood pressure, lead poisoning, tuberculosis, and diabetes. The clinics also provided treatments for cold and flu symptoms, especially for kids, and a range of preventative care such as physicals, immunizations, gynecological exams, dental exams, and cancer screenings. The clinics were able to provide a variety of different services based on the community and available resources. And members of the community also worked in administrative roles and could also be trained for basic tasks and procedures such as medical histories, vitals, lab work, and blood pressure. And if a patient needed to see another doctor for further care, a Black Panther member could provide an escort to a specialist's office to help advocate for them. And volunteer medical professionals and activists also went door-to-door in housing projects assessing residents. And here's a quote from Cleo Silvers of the New York City Panther Party. 
we'd go in and there would be an elderly person in some apartment who needed, really needed to see a doctor, but they were afraid to go to the doctor. In almost every apartment, there was somebody who had some kind of illness that needed to be treated right away. But the only way to find that out was to go and do the door-to-door work and find out what's really going on in the community. So as you can see, like you get a different care and concern when it's like community members going into their own communities to really help out other people because you have, you know, a government organization, you know, administration starting their whole programs. But like, if you're not heavily invested, you're not going to get the same treatment. You're not going to have the results Mm -hmm. that, you know, you claim to want to have if you're not just going in and going, what do you need? Let me assess you and see what do you need? That's how you help people. You ask them, what do you need? You, you give them a look over and have conversations to truly understand instead of just creating something and thinking that you know, especially if you don't exist within the communities that you are trying to help. Exactly. And the only way I'm opening my door is if I recognize it's somebody from my community, I see them, they're going to other neighbors' doors, and I get word of mouth that they're doing um, healthcare programs, they're testing, they're doing screenings. That's the only way I'm going to let you in. So it takes a lot of community trust. Like you said, there are hospitals in the area, but as time and time shows, they don't trust these hospitals. There's one quote that says, you know, I go in for a nosebleed and I come out in a body bag. So mm-hmm. people do not trust the healthcare system. So the Black Panther Party, they're setting up these initiatives to bring healthcare because the government is like, oh, they're writing it out like, oh, we're not going to give funding if you're going to discriminate against people, but they're not enforcing these laws. There's consistent unequal care and treatment. So they had to do it themselves and set up um, these healthcare clinics and go door to door. Mm-hmm. And the Winston-Salem chapter in North Carolina established a free ambulance service for its community. And the chapter leader, Larry Little, stated in an interview, quote, in the 50s and early 60s, the black funeral homes ran ambulance services out of their funeral homes. They got out of that business. The county took over and they claimed that people were misusing the ambulance service, using it as a cab. They said, if you call an ambulance and the ambulance attendants come to the scene and they feel you're not in an emergency situation, they would ask you to pay $25. If you didn't have the money to pay, they tell you to call a cab. They misdiagnosed people's conditions and people died. So we said, this is crazy. This is a human right to be able to go to the hospital. And this feels very reminiscent of even like when we talked about Freedom House paramedics, but just, again, this is just going into like, you don't believe black people. So Mm -hmm. you're going off of whatever training that you so-called have and claiming that someone isn't in an emergency situation And now give me money because you've wasted my time instead of just take them to the hospital and then let the hospital staff potentially then look them over and see what is actually wrong. But it's so crazy then that it would just people are calling out of desperation. One of the most Mm -hmm. vulnerable times that you're calling for help and then you're just told to just basically piss off because you you don't need help. You're, You're wasting my time. Just call a cab. It's healthcare is a human right. 
But Mm -hmm. the problem is when someone who's supposed to be delivering that doesn't see you as a human, then you're not going to receive it. Mm -hmm. You said exactly. Exactly. It's just so sad. And it's just the same things being repeated over and over. Because like you said, when they say the county took over, it's basically the local police force. Those are the ones that are responding to these emergency calls in the 50s and 60s because there wasn't no real service set up. And if they're getting calls from certain areas, from the projects, they're not going to go. They're making it extra difficult. So the Winston-Salem chapter, they set up their own ambulance service to go support people because it's like, we have to get it done. We have to support our communities. The People's Free Ambulance Service provided rides to the hospital for sick or injured people, and at least one ambulance was available 24 hours a day for emergencies and 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. for non-emergencies, like, say, doctor's visits and other medical appointments. And then in 1971... The Black Panther Party launched a campaign to address sickle cell anemia. So its clinics began community education and screening of sickle cell anemia, which we discussed on a prior episode, but is it a it is a genetic disease mainly affecting people of African ancestry. And although sickle cell anemia was identified in 1910, there was little public attention and funding because it was predominantly affecting people of African descent. So if you haven't already listened to episode 42, go ahead and listen to that and really learn about sickle cell anemia and, you know, the struggles that people continue to face to this day of not being listened to and just sort of disrespected and discriminated against by the healthcare system. Like you pointed out, sickle cell anemia was identified in 1910, but nothing was done because it predominantly affected those with African descent. And basically it was labeled like a black disease and it didn't receive the funding, didn't receive the attention. But sickle cell is one of those genetic diseases that is easy to identify. And once you identify, you can put measures in place. You can start like treatments and things like that. But like we point out in that episode, so there's so little funding. So therefore, researchers have not been able to come up with cutting edge treatments um, compared to other diseases that predominantly affect white people. And it's just sickle cell is just a blatant, obvious um, health disparity. The Black Panther Party provided its own national screening program through the clinics for sickle cell. So in addition to establishing screening programs and educational outreach efforts, it exposed the racial biases of the medical system that had largely ignored sickle cell anemia. The party's newspaper wrote an article entitled Black Genocide, Sickle Cell Anemia, in which they accused the U.S. government of refusing to conduct research to find a cure for sickle cell anemia. And in fact, the party's widespread community education about sickle cell and the government's neglect of the disease caused the U.S. Congress to pass the National Sickle Cell Anemia Control Act of 1972. And that act created a national genetic counseling, testing, and research to diagnose and treat sickle cell anemia, And the Black Panthers saw the move more as lip service to Black voters. 
and worried that the funding would not go to the communities that needed the resources the most, according to sociologist Alondra Nelson. Mm-hmm. Of course. <laughs> A lot of politicians know how to play the game of, well, we'll do this song and dance in front of your face, but at the end of the day, it doesn't mean anything. It's the whole thing of like the Medicare Medicaid Act of like, y'all need to provide care to people. But if you're not enforcing it, it doesn't mean anything. You're mm-hmm. just writing a piece of paper and signing it and taking pictures and shaking hands and going, look at us, we're so progressive. But if you're not enforcing it, if you're not actually helping the people who need help, then it's just like, y'all just wasting time. Yep. And with sickle cell, they had, they developed this testing and most black people, they didn't trust the government to go get this test. Like, I'm not going to go get this test. So the Black Panthers, they took it upon themselves to go door to door in communities to have people tested and screened. And then, like we pointed out, they created this act. So eventually all babies are screened for sickle cells and other genetic testing. But with African-Americans, when it came to like healthcare and health insurance, if people had like, say, the sickle cell trait and things like that, they used that to then discriminate against them and disqualify them for like healthcare and different things, health insurance. So it's just like a double-edged sword, like... Ridiculous. <laughs> Literally Ridiculous. can't win. Can never win. Just can never win. Right. Because they They're don't care. to take it and then, you know, flip it. And the Black Panther Party was very progressive for the time. They advocated that health was a human right. The party's first guiding document, the 10-point program, was issued in 1966. The original document did not mention health, but by 1970, following a call from leadership to establish the free health clinics, the 10-point program was modified. And in 1972, health was formally added as the sixth point. It says, we want completely free healthcare for all Black and oppressed people. We believe that the government must provide free of charge for the people, health facilities, which will not only treat our illnesses, most of which have come about as a result of our oppression, but will also develop preventative medical programs to guarantee our future survival. Yes. That's a whole read. <laughs> right. <laughs> because it was like, yeah, most of which have come as a result of our oppression. That part exactly. is mm-hmm. that part, which like people don't want to admit to. People don't want to mm-hmm. admit to where it's just like, oh, black people have this going on and that going on. It's just like because of the oppression, because of generational trauma, because mm-hmm. of the divestment from communities because of redlining, because of all these systemic things that y'all have done to try and break us down to nothing to destroy us. Mm-hmm. Yep. And this came out in 1972. And through the party's deep examination of many of the factors that you just mentioned that negatively impact a person's health, such as poverty, oppression, a lack of education and resources, 
their push really helped to shape the ways we address health and poverty today. And this is just one point on their plan. There's a, like I said, there's a total of 10. We'll read some of them. And we just want you to think about these and if this came to fruition. So point number one, we want freedom. We want power to determine the destiny of our black and oppressed communities. Two, we want full employment for our people. Three, we want an end to the robbery by the capitalists of our black and oppressed communities. Four, we want decent housing fit for shelter of human beings. Five, We want decent education for our people that exposes the true nature of this decadent American society. We want education that teaches us our true history and our role in the present day society. Six, we want completely free health care for all black and oppressed people. Seven, We want an immediate end to police brutality and murder of Black people, other people of color, all oppressed people inside the United States. Eight, we want an immediate end to all wars of aggression. Nine, we want freedom for all Black and oppressed people now held in U.S. federal state, county, city, and military prisons and jails We want trials by a jury of peers for all persons charged with so-called crimes under the laws of this country. 10, we want land, bread, housing, education, clothing, justice, peace, and people's community control of modern technology. And I just think, Today in 2024, we're still asking for these same things, these same basic human rights. We are. We really are. It decent and affordable housing, a full-time employment, health care, health care like, for all. But they were asking for this back in 1972. Yeah. And, and basic stuff. This is very simple, basic stuff. The end to police brutality. Oh my goodness. The police brutality part is just like, I, this, it, it wasn't new several years ago when it became more wide known and mainstream and talked about more and BLM, but like it's, it, it, it's never been new. We have always mm-hmm. been brutalized in some way or another by some organization, some system that's had control in this country. And they were just asking for the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. And exactly. we're so many decades removed. And like, <laughs> can we say we could check off anything on that 10 point program? <laughs> right. Is there anything we could be like, yeah, we got that. I don't. Mm. I'm, I'm <gasps> going through the list. <laughs> mm. <sighs> mm. No, no, no. No, we mm, like we can't, mm. and like we haven't even like come close to any of it. It hasn't, right. like, mm. it really hasn't. And I think people, anyone who's sort of apprehensive to this, has some sort of like pushback to this. Is like, oh, well, you just need to, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Y'all are complaining and whining and not figuring it out, or they'll use some sort of 
token example of someone who sort of has deemed to have made it and, you know, they're not struggling. So why are y'all struggling as though, you know, one person succeeding all of a sudden completely erases everybody else's struggle. That's not how it works. And it's just insane that like they were asking for the bare minimum, but, but what were they labeled as? This is this is their 10-point program. Radicals. They were labeled as <laughs> radicals, anarchists, terrorists. This is what they were asking for. This right. is this is it. And they're advocating for oppressed people. All of us are being oppressed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All of us. All of us are, are being, oppressed. being oppressed. If we look at like who's who controls our government and where the majority of the wealth sits at. And mm-hmm. the things that we're asking for, we're all oppressed, no matter what your race or nationality is. And they want to keep us oppressed. They want to keep us divided, keep us fighting against each other. And you're probably asking yourself, if you're not familiar with the Black Panther Party, like, where's the party now? Like, these are great things. We we want this. Like, why why do we not see Black Panthers around to this day? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the free medical clinics were often harassed by city health inspectors, subjected to police raids, and had difficulty maintaining consistent volunteer medical staffing due to this. And by the early 1980s, most of the medical clinics closed because of the FBI's counterintelligence program. And this program was meant to create mistrust of the Black Panthers. And they circulated propaganda and bad press, especially about the work that the program was doing, their clinic work. And police raids of the Chicago and L.A. clinics resulted in broken medical medical equipment and clinics that received state funding saw that money vanish during the Reagan era budget cuts and the propaganda alone just of the Black Panther Party like making them seem like criminals and thugs really just put a bad image in people's mind. And, you know, sometimes even to this day that still exists, like how come we all we, when we think of the black Panther, we just think of them wearing, having guns and berets, but they, it was so much more, so much social justice, so much health initiatives, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's crazy how, their propaganda campaign worked, but I mean, look at our education system, look at our history Mm -hmm. books, look at what we're being taught, like what we were being taught when we were in school, what is being banned right now of what is trying to be taught in school. So it's like the government works very well at propaganda. Mm -hmm. They, they get an A plus plus for, the way in which they can take something that is so positive and means so much to marginalize oppressed people and flip it and turn it around. And you'll have those same oppressed people generations or two removed, even a couple of decades later going, oh my goodness, now I would never want to be associated with that because it's this terrible thing. When in actuality, if you knew the truth, 
which is again, mm-hmm. another point of their program of knowing their truth in general, like you would go, oh, wait a second. I'm a Black Panther. I would identify as a Black Panther because you would be like, that is completely what I want for myself, for my community, for my loved ones, for my family. Like, it's what you would want. But they turn them into these radical, like you said, thugs. And all of a sudden you have even Black people going like, oh, don't associate me with that. That's not not who I want to be, what I want to be. And then we've been told that, you know, any proximity to whiteness is what we need to aspire to because that is the right way to live. That's how, that's how you be a good American. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just so deep and just looking at like history and politics and we're just fighting over the same thing while it's capitalism and mm-hmm. you know, when black history comes around, they talk about, Martin Luther King and I have a dream and let's all be equal, blah, blah, blah. And yes, that's true. But then they forget to leave out the part where MLK is talking about let's form unions, let's fight against capitalism Mm -hmm. and, you know, these things. And they make it seem like, you know, MLK and Black Panthers, they were very different, but they wanted the same thing. We're fighting against capitalism. We're fighting against oppression. You know, mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing. And they don't want people to be aware of this. And the Black Panthers, they pointed out, in order to have adequate health, you need to live in a good environment, basically. Your air quality, the water that you drink, what you're eating. You need an education so that you can also get a job, so that you're knowledgeable in politics, what's going on, the BS that they're feeding you. It's so many social determinants, you know, need food, shelter, all these things in order. They all affect your health. And it all boils down to capitalism and depression. It really does. The two go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> I'm just looking at this 10 point plan and just like, damn, we really can't check off none of these things. None of these. None of these. Mm. Like, we still fighting for crumbs. Yes. The bare minimum, just mm. crumbs. And people will then turn around and look you in your face and go, you're asking for too much. Mm-hmm. That's what's even wild because then it makes you feel as though you're crazy. Like your own government, our own government has been gaslighting us for centuries. For real. For real. <laughs> and it's, and blaming it's wild. it all on us. Like Yes. Like we're the ones in control. Like we like we truly have control. Like we truly have freedom. It's a lie. We don't. We we really don't. Because if you look at our community, op- other oppressed communities, marginalized people, like we don't have freedom. And every day, even, you know, more recently it might feel like too, it's like they continue to pass laws that then further restrict people. And there was some stuff that like we had passed and we thought, okay, we got that and we don't have to worry about that. But now we do have to go back to worrying about it and fighting for it again. It's just, 
it's so frustrating and it's just a situation too of like why educating yourself and really knowing the true history is so important mm-hmm. because you cannot rely on on what you're being told by a system that was built off of oppression and continues to operate off of oppression. Right. Like they're not going to change, but the best way we know how to fix that and work towards helping our community members is educating ourselves. So we really know the real history. Mm-hmm. We got to know our true history. If you are enjoying this episode, you should consider buying us a coffee. Yes a coffee. That small gesture will help us continue to create quality episodes and content. Click the buy me a coffee link in the show notes or check out our website at distrustanddisparities.com. And we can take up these same 10 points and look at the ways that they organize the way building community, helping those around us, like creating our own ecosystem. And that's why we created this podcast, one, for education, and two, to highlight organizations and individuals that are working to, one, call out the system and that they're actually taking action and doing something. So we want to make you guys aware of what's going on. And, you know, this is a platform to uplift those individuals. And like I said, it's all about education and With this episode, we just barely touched the surface talking about the Black Panther Party. And there's so many more books and also documentaries that you can watch just to like educate yourselves. And so for this week's organizational feature, we have a book recommendation so that you can continue your learning about the Black Panther Party and also their health initiatives. And the book is titled Body and Soul, The Black Panther Party, and the Fight Against Medical Discrimination, and is written by a Black woman, Dr. Alondra Nelson. Dr. Nelson draws on extensive historical research, as well as interviews from former Panther members and she argues that the party's focus on healthcare was both practical and ideological. Check out the book. She does a very in-depth and thorough look into the Black Panther parties, their initiatives. Like I said, she has interviews um, from members and she just takes a deep dive into their free clinics, also um, the work around sickle cell and looks at the history of sickle cell and in the U.S. and the discrimination and lack of funding. And she talks about like the party and how they were so progressive for their time. The reason we also want to highlight this book is because it's written by a phenomenal Black woman. And so many times, if you look at certain books, the one that comes to mind is, should I say it? Henrietta Lacks is written by a white woman. You know, this is our history and it's being retold and money is being made by somebody who does not come from our community. So... I want to support this work. I want to support this book because she takes a very in-depth look and we need this. We need to pass along this history. 
And if you want to learn more, this is the best way to do it. And like I said, Dr. Alondra Nelson, she's a phenomenal Black woman. And she's leading the conversation now on safety with AI technology. So she oversaw the release of the blueprint for the AI Bill of Rights, which lays out a framework that she hopes both AI builders and policymakers will abide by in order to ensure that AI is a force for public good. And like I said, she is an esteemed professor, and she's also the author of several acclaimed books on genetics, race, and medical discrimination. So check her out. Um, We're putting it into the universe that we would love to have her on the podcast to come talk about what she's doing. So I'm just putting it out there. And like I said, please check out this book, show your support, check out her work, especially if you're have interest in genetics and also all this AI technology, because just like everything, they don't factor in race. <laughs> but they, <laughs> and it's some of it, a lot of it is built on bias and things like that. So mm-hmm. there definitely needs to be some checks and balances in the future. Or like we said, we have the same problems that we are facing now. So go check out Dr. Alondra Nelson's work and also her book, body and soul. And with all book recommendations, we recommend you buy it directly from the author's website or through websites like bookshop.org or Libro if you want the audiobooks because these platforms support community bookstores. Also, you can see if your local library has the book or you can go through the Libby app, which I love which allows you to use your library card to download the ebook or audiobook. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Do you have recommendations for topics we should discuss about health disparities or injustices? Guests we should interview doing amazing health justice work or organizations we should highlight creating positive change for marginalized communities. Please visit us at distrustanddisparities.com or email us at distrustanddisparities at gmail.com. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Thank you.